Welcome to Preaching and Preaching, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Jonathan Lehman to the podcast. Dr. Lehman serves as the editorial director for Nine Marks Ministries. He's an accomplished writer, having recently co-authored a book, Colin Hansen, entitled Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. Jonathan, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It's good to be in the studio today with you. Of course, you're on campus for our annual uh, Nine Marks conference yep. that we host in concert here. with uh, our friends at Nine Marks Always Ministries. Yeah, well, it's good to be here. I've enjoyed doing this with you guys over the years. And this year, we're talking about conversion. And uh, I spoke earlier today. You'll speak later today or tomorrow. And uh, just a very encouraging two days for me every time we're able to host this. If you didn't hear it, Dr. Allen talked about the joy of repentance. And, uh, well, the need for repentance and preaching repentance and how many pastors fail to talk repentance when Jesus said, repent and believe. So if he said it, we should say it. And it, it is a joy to think about. So thank you for your talk, brother. Thank you for the plug, brother. All right. So we're going to be talking about the importance of regenerate church membership, which which is a very nine Markian topic for us to talk about today, right? Amen. And uh, something of great importance to me, to you, and I know to our listeners. But before we get to that, uh, give us some words of update on you, Nine Marks Ministries, your family, writing projects. Yeah, sure. Nine Marks continues to plug along, grateful for the opportunity to serve church leaders, pastors around the world, um, never short on things to do. We, uh, I'm personally writing a book right now on authority. Uh, the subtitle is something like How Good Leadership Protects the Vulnerable, Makes Society a Flourish, and Saves the World. I had to stop and think about each one of those things. So that's with Crossway. That should be due in June, Lord willing, to be out in 2023. And we got a book on prosperity gospel about to come out. Actually, it's almost out. We continue to publish the who, Church Questions who series. Who is we? Well, I, not me personally. Okay. Nine Marks is publishing a book by Sean DeMars and Mike McKinley okay. called The Health, Wealth, and Real Gospel or something is like that. Is it in the little Nine Marks no, series? Okay. it's its own little independent volume. Okay. You know. so, Good. Your family? Family's doing well. Four girls. The oldest girl just had her 16th birthday. Youngest girl is eight. The other two, obviously, in between. Wife is... Uh, uh, teaches full-time second grade at the girls' school. So they all leave the house together at 7 a.m. I'll come trucking back at 4.30, and it is a busy time with all of that. Nonetheless, uh, able to continue serving both of us at, at Chevrolet Baptist in various capacities and grateful for the ministry of that church as well. Good. Now, you and I had Hebrew together in seminary with Dr. Gentry. Yeah, you've reminded me of that. Do you remember that class? Well, you, you, uh, yeah, I remember the class. I, I don't remember the th- being, I think you've accused me of asking a lot of questions. What you no, that was an accusation. Me, you that accused was, me of something. I'm no, I, no accusations. You sat on the back row, but but that is not indicative of, uh, of, of not being engaged in the class. You were yeah, very engaged. Yeah. You asked a lot of questions. I remember then thinking, ah, he's got a lot on the ball back there. And so I was sitting on the front row <laughs> And uh, just uh, just my pattern was to kind of go sit towards the front in seminary. And uh, I remember always thinking, yeah, man, who's that guy on the back row with all the questions? Why doesn't he shut up? No, it was not that. It was not that intense. It, it was always, you always contribute to the class, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Levin. All right. So we're talking today about regenerate church membership. Um, l- let me just, again, toss you some questions and we'll, we'll dialogue about these together. But let me ask you first uh, to define regenerate church membership for us. Sure. The idea that the members of your church should all be regenerate, that is born again, that is to say baptized professing Christians. And it's a doctrine that has emerged uh, in Protestant churches in contradistinction to 
a pedo-baptist conception of the church in which there is at least in the protestant formulation of pedo-baptism uh, a, a knowing bringing in those who are not regenerate that is to say infants into the communion in some sense uh, of the church they don't bring them into full membership but they bring them into a kind of non-communing membership baptists came along well, anabaptists some would argue also but but then baptists our, our tradition came along and said no the members of your church need to be born again, professing believers. That's what we see throughout the New Testament. We don't see examples of non-Christians knowingly joining churches or being baptized into the church. We only see believers. So that's that's the basic idea of regenerate church membership. So let's try to focus the conversation around the Baptist tradition, that which yeah. we are a part of. Uh, give us a sense of just the historical overview of of how um, seriously this has been treated in times past, times present, um, where the church tends to be in these days uh, as relates to, to to how careful they are stewarding the idea of regenerate church membership. Yeah, in, in the earliest days, back in the days of you know John Smith and Thomas Hellwes and some of the earliest uh, original English Baptists in the early 1600s, Uh, And then moving into the late 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, it was taken very seriously. Uh, Pastors and church leaders in general were very careful to write out their understanding of church polity and discipline, and these things were practiced. And Baptists joined churches and were overseen by those churches and practiced church discipline uh, with each other through it. So it was taken very seriously. It wasn't really until the 20th century and the advent of uh, various forms of church growth, programming, and so forth, that we began to take church membership uh, less seriously. And little by little, church membership, I think, I, I, I don't know that I could tell you when, it became conceived as a different sort of thing. So if you ask most people today, hey, what do you think of church membership? Is it in the, in the Bible? They say, no, no, it's not in the Bible. Because what they're thinking is something like Costco, membership. They're thinking something programmatic. And so if you want to say membership's not in the Bible, and if that's what you mean, I agree with you. You Country club membership, Costco membership, gas station rewards program membership is not in the Bible. Membership in the Bible is something different, right? Uh, But I think that's how most people take it today, which means they practice it pragmatically and loosely insofar as it seems to further their own individual personal spiritual goals. And if it doesn't, well, let's just take our purchase back to the checkout counter and go somewhere else. So what about our polity makes the the concept of regenerate, regenerate church membership essential? Well, uh, you and I understand ourselves to be priest kings by virtue of the new covenant, right? And so we have, we have a doctrine of the priesthood of all believers or the royal priesthood of all believers, as I understand it. What that does is it gives every born-again believer— from, from the advanced, mature Christian to the baby, brand-new Christian, responsibility towards other believers. So suddenly, I have a responsibility to make sure that as you profess Christ, you know what you're talking about, and you have that same responsibility towards me. So think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says, where he's talking about, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, what a righteousness and... Um, uh, wickedness have in common, Christ and Belial, the temple of God with idols, and so forth. Come out from them, be separate, touch no unclean thing. In other words, he's saying to the Corinthians there, 
uh, guys, you should not be partnering with lawlessness. And he's not talking to the church leaders. He's talking to all of them. They are to see that there is a clear line between the inside and the outside of the church, right? And he's making them responsible for that. So that's to say, part of what makes gospel ministry strong, part of what makes our evangelistic ministry strong is that we are all doing the work of guarding the who and the what of the gospel. So out of our, you said, what about our polity? What's well, kind of coming out of our congregationalism in this, in this uh, understanding of the priesthood of all believers, that we have these opportunities to guard one another, and that's, that's what the lines of membership give us. And so you say guard one another, you mean by mutual accountability, or, or what do you mean by that? Yeah, my, uh, yeah, in part by mutual accountability, by getting to know one another, hearing one another's testimonies, by inviting you into my life and uh, uh, um, making sure that you're walking the walk and you're doing the same for me, right? Think about think about Adam in the garden. What was he responsible to do? He was responsible to keep the inside separate from the outside, right? Make sure, hey, Adam, if any lying slurp, serpents slither on in here, you know, you, you got to do something. Now, of course, he abdicated that responsibility. He didn't guard the garden, the place where God dwells. And so it was given to the priests in the temple, really. I'm just going to fast forward, right? And what were the what were the, the priests in the temple to do? Well, the same language for the priests is used, was used with Adam. He was to work and watch over the garden. The priests were to work and watch over the temple, right? And what, how do they do that? Well, they separated holy from unholy, clean from unclean, and so forth. Who's the temple of the New Testament? We all are, right? The, 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 the church. And we all have that responsibility, that priestly responsibility to make sure we are uh, walking because the, 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 the temple is where God dwells. He dwells in us. That's amazing. We represent God on earth, right? And so we have that responsibility to get to know one another and uh, uh, make sure that when you come to, 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 to join a church that you understand the gospel, right? And typically that's going to be conducted by the elders or the pastors of the church. They're going to have the conversation with you. Hey, tell me, understand what, what the gospel is. <clears throat> And then we baptize people into the church, into the fellowship of the church. That's your membership, right? And then we take the supper together as a sign of the fact that we are all believers together, right? And the supper is the ongoing. So if baptism is the front door, the supper is the regularly family, regular family meal in which we are, are seeking to care for one another. And the thing about Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 11 where he says, do not you know, receive the, the supper without first discerning the body. What body is he talking about? Is it the resurrected body of Christ in heaven? Well, well, no. If you look back at the context, he's clearly talking about the church body. Church, the Lord's Supper, in other words, is a family event. It's a communal meal, right? And that's where part of the way we help guard and protect one another. So as it relates to the church's operation, uh, its decision-making, mm -hmm. its determining whom it will call to be its next pastor, for instance, um, how does regenerate church membership play into that deliberative responsibility the congregation as a whole has? Okay, I don't understand the question one more time. How does regenerate church membership play into our responsibility? Right. How does it impact or shape the ability of that congregation to, to faithfully fulfill its responsibilities as a, as a deliberative body? Well, I'm thinking of Jeremiah 31, where, uh, Jeremiah, well, God says through Jeremiah, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, right? No man shall teach his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me. In other words, the new covenant comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates our heart and gives us all discernment to know the Lord. No longer, in other words, Jeremiah saying, are we reliant on 
these mediating classes of priest and king. I don't need the priest and king to have access. I'm going to have direct access by virtue of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Again, that's what makes me the priest king, as we talked about earlier, which means I'm to then be involved in those kinds of decisions about who comes into the church and who goes out to the church. Very practically, what, what that means in my own congregation is every other month we have a what we call them a members meeting. Some people call them business meeting. We call them members meeting in which we, the most important thing we do, so we do this right up front, is we we hear testimonies of those who would join our church from, from the elder who did there, the pastor who did the interview, and then we all vote on that person coming in. And the same thing with people leaving our church for another church or if they're leaving by discipline. That is to say, we all have that responsibility. And that's precisely what we see in the New Testament. Well, we see that in 1 Corinthians 5. We see that in 2 Corinthians 2, 6. see that in a number of places where we all have that collective responsibility in bringing in and seeing people out. So you said if someone means by membership, Costco, Country Club, you know, gas station rewards programs, that's not seen in the New Testament. What type of membership is seen in the New Testament? Yeah, if I have 30 seconds with you on an elevator, I'm going to point you to texts like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18, where it talks about, uh, and if you tell it, to, uh, and he tells it, to the, if he doesn't listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector, then put the person out. Well, what is he in? He's in the church and put him out. You see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5, where it talks about, you should remove the one who has done this, says Paul in verse 2, and then verse 5, hand him over to Satan, it says. And then he says down in the end, verse 12, he says, do you not know that it is those inside the church whom you are to judge? So there's an inside and there's an outside, and our instances of discipline make that very clear. What is what is church membership in the New Testament? It is the church. Every time you see the churches of Galatia, the church in Corinth, the church in Jerusalem, what is that? Well, that it's, that's its members. And the metaphors that are used are not consumer Costco metaphors. It's citizenship metaphors. We're submitting to Christ the King. It's body metaphors. We're members of the body. It's family metaphors. We're brothers and sisters. It's temple metaphors. We're, we're bricks in the building, right? That's the kind of language and vocabulary the New Testament uses to describe this thing and this thing called membership. And the only place in the New Testament you have people, Christians, who are not part of churches, not members, would be in missionary settings like the Ethiopian eunuch where there's simply no church, and this is the first convert. Otherwise, all you have are churches, Christians in churches. It's just the uniform practice of the New Testament. Right. So a while back, I was um, visiting with someone in Kansas City here, someone I didn't know, but I bumped into in a public setting. And uh, one of my questions I often asked is kind of a, an entry question into perhaps evangelistic conversation is, ah, do you have a church home? And um, I asked a similar question. And this person said to me, uh, Said, so, well, yeah, well, no. And it, it kind of said, well, when we want to go to an early service, we go here. Yeah. When we want to go to a later service, we go there. And of mm -hmm. course, I got all these alarm bells going off in my head. What is wrong with that understanding of church membership or, or lack of church membership? Uh, it tells me you're the captain of your own ship. It tells me that you don't understand what it means to be attached to the body of Christ. So the New Testament is filled with all of these one another commands, right? Like submit to your leaders. Well, which leaders are you submitting to? All, all, all the leaders in your city? Or is there a select set of leaders that you are called to submit to? Uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Where are you not forsaking the assembly? Uh, all sorts of one another things we could, we, we could look for in the New Testament. And the only way to fulfill those 
is to find a concrete assembly that you're joining yourself to and making yourself accountable. That's just how we can obey the New Testament. So what is my concern with that family? My, my concern is that they're, A, not obeying the New Testament broadly. B, they are not able to fulfill all the other commands in the New Testament about how to be a Christian. We are, we are united into a people. Think about 1, Timothy, 1 Peter 2. Once you are not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you had received mercy. Typically, we think of conversion as, I didn't have mercy, now I have mercy. But notice what Peter parallels that with. Once you, had not received, once you were not a people, now you are a people. In other words, conversion signs you up for a family photograph and a family dinner table. Where's your family? Who's your family? Don't tell me you're united all Christians everywhere. If you're not showing up at somebody's family dinner table, I don't believe you. Right? So I would say somebody who's doing that is on very thin ice if, if they are Christians at all. And I'd, I'd want to challenge them in that. So when it comes to the local church and their, let's say, lack of intentionality with regenerate church membership, yeah. uh, what are some of the consequences of that? Disobedience. Uh, nominalism. Um, the inability to truly love other Christians the way you've been called to and care for other Christians the way you've been called to care for, a false sense of assurance. And I want to put this on pastors and church leaders to some extent, insofar as they've engaged and we've engaged in various kinds of practices that allow people to show up and feel affirmed in their faith and then never darken the door of a church again. And yet, if you ask them, they feel confident they're going to meet Jesus in heaven. Well, that that assurance is dangerous. Oh, I do not want somebody showing up to heaven and say, yeah, Jonathan Lehman and Chevrolet Baptist Church told me I'm fine. And he's like, I never, I never knew you. Because then that's on me, right, in my congregation. So, uh, and, and meanwhile, that person who's been falsely assured is, is living a life that looks just like the world. They're telling the world, I'm a Christian. And so what the, what's the world thinking of Christians? And so that nominalism makes a very bad evangelistic uh, campaign for the church. So now we're sending out false evangelism with false converts, and that's just a whole lot of not good, I would say. So we love people. We love our members. We love weaker sheep. We love our non-Christian neighbors by taking care of these things and, and considering who we receive and oversee as members. So, so flip, flip the coin now. I ask you the weaknesses of not of not observing regenerate church membership. What are the strengths for a church, for its members, uh, for a congregation that is intentional and serious about regenerate church membership? Yeah, it's kind of like asking the question, so what are the advantages of being a part of a family? You know, well, do you like having an absentee dad or do you like having a dad who's around the house and playing with the kids? Well, what do you think about the fact that you're never at the family dinner table together versus, man, we have dinner together every night as a family? What do you think of having brothers and sisters who care for you and look out for you? And I mean, the answers to these questions are obvious, right? Like, it's good to be a part of a family. What a joy. Bear my burdens. You who are spiritual, uh, bear one another's burdens, right? And uh, walking the Christian life, walking after, following after Jesus is a, a thing I need help with. Uh, number one, I'm easily deceived in my own sin, easily tempted, easily led astray. I'm weak. I struggle with faith. I don't, am I really God's? I need assurance. I need help with assurance. Uh, I need wisdom for life decisions. And so what I have is a family, a people, a body who, 
who are rejoicing with me and suffering with me and the goods and the bads, and they're helping me walk through all of these things. And so insofar as you're living a kind of Costco membership, I show up for a few minutes or gas station rewards program membership. I feel my spiritual tank once a week. I get discounts. Yeah, that's, that's not membership in the Bible again. And you're not going to get what God intends for you in the goodness of brothers and sisters. Uh, your church membership needs to be more than 60 to 90 minutes all week, right? Or not, not a, a week. It, 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 it needs to kind of creep into the afternoons and into the evenings and it's a little inefficient. People showing up, people calling, people texting, people, you know, saying, hey, can I stop by? I'm really struggling. I need to talk with you about something. And, and so, if, oh, gosh, I'm busy. Yeah, that's, that's family. Family's busy, right? Family imposes. Family's difficult. Family steps on your toes. It's tough. I got to forgive these people? Yes, you got to forgive. By your love for one another, you will know, they will know you are my disciples. Right? It's by your forgiving, forbearing, patient, stepping on my toes, love for one another. We show the world a different kind of society. Last question. So for our listeners who are persuaded by this conversation, thinking, you know what? I'm pastoring a church. 200 people show up in worship, 600 on the rolls. Yeah. How do I go about, without blowing the place up, how do I go about cultivating meaningful slash regenerate church membership? So I'm here? talking to a pastor. Uh, number one, you should start preaching about what the church is. What is the church in the New Testament? You start talking about things like church membership and church discipline. Preach those passages. People are going to be looking at those passages and they're going to be asked. I, I was teaching a church discipline in uh, England to a bunch of Anglicans. And uh, I love my Anglican, gospel-believing Anglican brothers and sisters. But uh, somebody, one of, the, one of the Anglicans in the audience said to my fellow teacher who was an Anglican, pastor. Uh, how, how do we do this in the Church of England? And uh, the, the pastor quite honestly said, man, we, we can't. We kind of can't do what the Bible is commanding us to do here. I was like, I'm glad you're honest. Praise God, right? Yeah, so as you're preaching and teaching these things, uh, the congregation, little by little, is going to start to say, pastor, how, how can we do that? We wanted, I'm, another friend was, was uh bringing a church reform project in his, his congregation, and, and a man started being unfaithful to his wife and finally got to the point where the church was like, we have to act. We have to do this. And the elders were a little more sheepish about it. They're like, uh, you know, we don't want to make waves. And finally, the congregation was like, hey, pastors, we, we have to do something. And so they moved towards discipline in that situation. So if you, if you have a faithful teaching, preaching, ministering on the church, membership, discipline, these things, that DNA is going to start to uh, affect your church. You also want to take care of who you're receiving your, as members, right? So I, I would encourage you to make sure a pastor uh, um, is is doing your membership interviews and you're taking those things to the congregation. You're helping the congregation understanding the context of a member's meeting, their responsibility for one another, the very things that we've been talking about the whole time. You know, and at some point, yeah, you're going to look for ways to remove those people. Start with the people who are dead, right? And I, I know churches and the dead people are on there. You can move, remove them. And then kind of work your way in from easiest to hardest. That may take a few years. Well, Jonathan, we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining me today in the studio, talking about the importance of regenerate church membership. It's been a delight. Uh, thank you so much. Good to be with you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.